Welcome back to another Edge God In podcast. Thank you for pushing that pause button to Edge God In, to your mind, your will, and those crazy emotions. So perhaps today you're finding yourself hijacked by a strong emotion, and it's preventing you from loving well in a way that honors God. Jesus is our ultimate example when it comes to loving other people well. Our mission at Edge God In is to champion your human potential in Christ. And we're actually linked to the Emotional Intelligence in Christ Project. You can find more information about that at emotionalintelligenceinchrist.com. This podcast and other podcasts are going to be up along with the verses that go along with the conversation for the day at edgegodin.com. Today's topic is one that truly moved me. I had the opportunity to actually travel to, and if you listen to Deliverance in the Dark Room, which was last week's podcast, you heard me speaking about life action and the incredible work that they're doing to champion families, individuals, and churches to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to move out spreading the gospel message. When I was there, I had the incredible opportunity to be able to hear Dan Jarvis speak, and I mentioned it actually on the last podcast, and today, Shazam, thank you, Jesus, I have him with us. So stick with us, because today's topic is a powerful one, and it's entitled, The Love One More Challenge. Let's jump in. Holy Spirit, we just ask for your wisdom, your discernment your guidance, emotional intelligence to be able to get out of the way and to allow you to speak through us today about the very simple and yet extremely powerful topic that you yourself called us to step into. Our love for one another will prove to the world that we are your disciples. Thank you, Lord for the opportunity to speak about this invitation that you give us every day. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight for the edification of every human being that's tuning in today, that when they leave today's podcast, that they would be encouraged in your love to go forth and love more today than yesterday. In your most precious name we pray, in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So as I mentioned, I'm joined by Dan Jarvis, and he is a pastor, a mission mobilizer, and writer for multiple Christian organizations, including, and currently, Life Action and Operation Saturation. He and his wife, Melissa, actually live in Michigan and parent 10 children. Yes, I said that in my out loud voice, 10 children, six of whom were adopted through foster care. Unbelievable witness. Their passion has been to extend God's love to those most in need, and they are living it, my friends. And that's led to both joy and heartbreak. And we'll be able to explore that a little bit more in today's podcast. Dan likes to offer a single challenge to every Christian believer. Not about adoption, not about missions, not about church. Instead, 
It's about the single most valuable and important thing any one of us can do that changes lives. Dan, thank you so much for your willingness to jump on because I was praying you in, by the way, brother. (laughs) Absolutely, Lauren. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah, yeah. So, so this topic, as as I mentioned, I, I got to see you in person talking about this, and and I'm I'm really taken by the simplicity of this. And so I'd like to just turn it over to you because listeners weren't there; they didn't have the opportunity to see you speak on this. Um, but I've been thinking about this every day. The love one more challenge. So, would you share with listeners? What is this about and 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 what's what's behind this and why should we even care about this topic? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the so the single most important thing any of us can do as Jesus said and as I think any any Christian believer who has kind of studied out the commandments of the Bible like you know this as well and that is that everything is summed up by love, right? So if you love God with all of your heart, if you love your neighbors yourself, in doing those things, you're essentially keeping all of the law and the commands, and you're honoring the spirit of those. Um, for me, one of the things that I kept running into in ministry was that I felt like people around me were very willing to serve God. Like if you would ask them to do a specific act of service or something, you know, many people with good hearts will say, sure, they, they want to do that. But when you really dig into like, why weren't they doing it to begin with, or why wouldn't they just do it anyway? It's it's because of a lack of sort of a practical connection for what is my next step? What am I personally supposed to do, especially when I'm busy with a thousand other things? Um, and so looking at what Jesus said was the most important thing, and then looking at what the scripture calls us to both inside and outside of our, you know, you think the inside would be the family and church commitments we have, but then outside, when you think about the mission we have in our communities and around the world, what does it mean to extend love? Um, If we could answer that question, we would be well on the way of following Jesus wherever he calls us to go. So my my wife and I, uh, when we first Actually, right before we got married, we were talking about the kind of household we wanted to have, and we were talking about this dynamic that we really wanted love to be the centerpiece, but like everybody sort of says that, right, in a sappy kind of emotional, totally. uh, you know, who wouldn't who wouldn't agree that we all want love to be at the center mm. of our homes, but we're thinking, well, what does that really mean? You know, how do we make this all practical? And that's when we started recognizing that when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, it's it's a call to extend the same kind of love to others that we would apply to ourselves and to our own families. And so you might say, you know, you would do anything for your brother, or you do anything for your parents, or you look at your kids and you say, I love them so much, I would literally go to the moon and back for them. Mm. That kind of familial love is the level of love, the quality of love that we're called to share with other people, which is exactly what God has done for us, right? I mean, God's love is rich and deep and amazing, and um, and we would all look at God and say, I don't really deserve your love. I'm not even sure why you love me the way you do, but thank you. Um, yeah. That's the kind of love, like the undeserved 
not, uh, undeserved love, the gracious love that we're supposed to be extending. So for my wife and I, we started calling that like our almost like our family motto was to love one more. Just to say in the circle of close friends and family that we have, the people we do anything for, we know that there's always one more person out there that we should add to that circle. And so who is it? Who, who's the next one? Um, in our household, as you mentioned before in the introduction, it, we found a pathway to do that through foster parenting, but that's not everyone's pathway. Um, there are many ways that you can look at the world around you, the people around you with love in your heart and say, how can I treat them with the same kind of love that God has for me? How can I love them as if they were myself or my family? And, uh, and so making the big mission of Christianity really personal and practical, um, for me, just boils down to love. And when we say the Love One More Challenge, what we're really saying is, you know, you could make a list a mile long of needs around the world. You know, millions of people in poverty, millions of people at risk, millions of kids who need care. It's all overwhelming and it's all kind of impossible. But what if we said this? What if we said, okay, Lord, I can't love everyone directly right now, but I can love one more. Hmm. Well, if I say that, and Lauren, if you say that, and then if all the listeners say that, eventually that starts to add up where people are starting to feel the love of God through us, his hmm. servants, his representatives. We're literally extending his love into the lives of everyone in the world. That's, that's the aim. And uh, so I, I don't know, in a nutshell, that's the, that's the challenge. Mm. And uh, as I have tried to live it, you know, there's, it's not easy. It's very simple to say, because once you kind of catch it in your mind, almost like you said, you can think about it all the time. You can walk around and go, all right, well, who's, who's one more in this situation? If I'm not living for myself anymore, if I'm always living to kind of extend the love of Jesus, to the next person, um, it's pretty easy to imagine uh, like becoming a person like that. What's hard is that once you start loving people, you also are introducing yourself to all of their messiness and all the challenge. <laughs> so mm. you know, the, the joys of life normally come through relationships and people you love, but also the worst pains of life come through that same channel. And so the more people you love, the more risk of heartbreak there is in your life as well. So, mm. so it's sort of simple to, it's simple to say it and love one more kind of quantifies it for us to say, all right, that's the aim, find the next person. But what's not easy is the living of it long-term, you know, mm. to actually love people at that level or in the midst of whatever challenges they have. Absolutely. And, and I remember, um, and you can share this as well, the Lego story. Mm. And, and, um, I think that that, that kind of speaks to the human heart. It's like, all right, is this enough? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> did I, did okay. I do enough? So share that. Cause I yeah. remember thinking like, oh, I've totally been asking, is this enough Legos to God? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my kids and uh, you know, those of you who are parents, you, I'm sure you're living this challenge. You buy your kids sets of little toys like Legos, and then, you know, it's all great on day one when they build the project that it says to build. But then on day two, the the Legos are everywhere, right? They're they're all over the carpet. And now, now there's this endless cleanup job that you've signed up for of trying yep. to collect all the Legos. 
So we have this playroom in our basement and my kids would go down there and they would, they had big tubs of Legos, Lincoln logs, a few other things. And those Legos would get everywhere. I mean, just every nook and cranny in all the fibers of the carpet. And some of them yep. are really small, you know? Yep. So, so literally there was a day I took a garden rake down there um, just to see if that would help, you know, just to, <laughs> didn't really do that. Well, I was just trying, what can I do to make this? Yeah. Easier? Oh, absolutely. So, hey, that's resourceful. <laughs> yeah. So I would say to my kids, like before a day that we were doing cleanup, you know, Hey, you have to go down and pick up Legos. And I would get this, you know, sort of sigh from the kids like, Oh dad, you know, or, you, you know, and after, after some whining and hand wringing and everything, they would agree to go down, but then they would look at me and they would, they would say, dad, how many Legos do I have to pick up? And I would say, well, I don't know, 10,000, you know, you, you pick a number, all of them, because really the heart of the pick up the Legos is we want to be able to vacuum. So we need you to pick up everything. Right. But if you think about in the mind of a child, who's thinking like their plan for their day is not picking up Legos. They have. Oh, a absolutely. So yeah. in their mind, they're saying, what's the minimum that I can do to sort of please you so that I can move on with my own agenda. Yeah. And so and that, that applies to us as adults, Stan. Oh, I'm yeah, just yeah, talking right, right lots now. Of categories. Sure. Yep, yep. Okay. So, so I was yeah. reading one day, um, the, the part of the Bible where Jesus, it was actually right before the good Samaritan story. And remember the, the rich young ruler, the lawyer, the, the, yeah. I guess the lawyer. So he, he comes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important commandment in the law? And Jesus said, well, you know it as well as I do. Why don't you tell me? And the guy actually gives him the right answer. He says, well, it's love God, love your neighbors yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And so right there, that guy should have quit while he was ahead, right? Yeah. But but it says, it says, says, uh, wanting to justify himself, Mm -hmm. he asked one more question. He said, Lord, how many Legos do I have to pick up? Um, <laughs> that is he, so true. Yeah. In the actual text, he says, yep. Lord, who is my neighbor? Yep. Right. So it's almost like you could hear in that there's a whole bunch of things going on there. You know, everything. Oh, from so many things. Personal um, priority problems, maybe even to like prejudice and racism. I mean, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff going on in the text. Yep. But, but when I hear that question, like, who's my neighbor? It's almost like when you when you've missed the heart of the commandment and you're trying to clarify what minimum can i get away with and still call it even yeah that shows that something's wrong right so that's why jesus tells him the story and says well let's talk about love you know and he gives him the good samaritan and the guy has to admit well it's the person that had mercy that's actually the one that showed love and jesus said okay that's what i want you to do go go do that um the heart for all of us should not be, you know, Lord, I know I'm supposed to love someone. So let me get that over with so I can check it off my list and get back to what I wanted to do to begin with. Absolutely. Instead, we say, okay, Lord, you've called us to live lives defined by love. So everything I'm doing from here forward is actually about either loving you or loving other people. Um, so Lord, who do you want me to love? Like you could ask who is my neighbor with a good attitude by maybe actually stepping out your front door and looking 360 degrees and saying, okay, literally like, who is my neighbor that I need to go reach out to? That's great. But if you're saying, 
like almost like with neighbor as being some sort of metaphor, like, well, who officially do I have to reach out to mm. to say that my Christianity is on the right track? That misses the whole heart of love, right? So absolutely, to me, I, I don't want to be asking God about Legos and, and I don't, and I don't want to be, you know, in some sort of imagination of like what it might be on judgment day. Oh yeah. Stand before Jesus and, and to, to realize in that moment that I was actually trying to like get away with quote unquote, you know, like some sort of like, I'll do what you say to do to check the box, but I really didn't care that much about it. Yeah. Um, I, I want my life to be actually a life of love. Um, so the Lego thing to me is it speaks to the why, you know, it's when you get to the how it's, there's a, there's a lot of answers to that question. Like when you, if, uh, so imagine if that lawyer had said, you know, a, a different take, a totally different direction in his heart, if he already understood like what real neighborhood meant, like what real love was, he might've wanted to ask Jesus, how should I love my neighbor? Which would have been a fantastic question to ask yeah. Jesus, right? But he yeah. missed that because he was still maybe grappling mm. with some selfishness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, the line, the line that I think is is really apropos for today in our walk with the Lord is wanting to justify himself. Mm. Just thinking about that in, in in our own walk with the Lord, asking the Holy Spirit to sift us in that area. What am I wanting to do by works, right? right? To justify myself, to check off the list. Okay, is this good enough? And and Jesus was so masterful at, at that at that story because intentionally pulling in a Samaritan. Talk a little bit about that. I mean, in that culture that day, um, the one who actually did show mercy is not the one that they would have been like, oh, for sure, that person's going to show up. Right, right. He was kind of the last person in line that they would have ever thought of. Right. You know, so I'm sure many of you know the story. Uh, the uh, I'm, I'm always, I always think it's funny. So I work, part of my role, I work at a church. So like I, I see myself in the story as like the temple assistant or the priest character that walks yeah. by and is like too busy to help the person on the road. Sure. And I always think, okay, that literally has happened to me, you know, where I'll see a need or at least an apparent need in front of me. And I'll just kind of like glance at the watch and go, ah, I just can't, you know, I've got something else. Yep. I've got some church meeting to go to. It's totally like, well, what it. an irony that is that, you know, here, here we are still living that story. So Jesus sets that up. And obviously the people in that, um, the people who were listening to him in that moment, they would have looked at righteousness as something that the priests and the temple assistants would have embodied, you know? So, so you're taking the most spiritual people and saying, well, they didn't have time to meet this practical need. But now here comes a Samaritan. And I, I think actually in the in in Luke, he says a despised Samaritan. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and you go, oh, that's the person who, you know, you almost would consider them an enemy. Like you might even feel threatened by that person walking by. You certainly wouldn't be thinking that's going to be the person who helps me. Yeah. Um, and yet it's that Samaritan who gets off of his donkey and, you know, bandages wounds. And if you go through that text in Luke 10 and think about all the things the Samaritan actually gave, it's not like he was probably traveling with like a trailer of first aid supplies. I mean, he yeah, totally. to, to bandage the wounds and like pour on the oil and wine. He was using his own supply 
and maybe yeah. even ripping apart his own clothing to, to like bandage up this beaten up person. Hmm. And then it says he put him on his donkey and they start going in. So, so now that guy has to walk when otherwise he would have had his own ride, you know, um, they get hmm. to the end, he pays for a night and maybe more. Um, he, he cares for the person. And you think this is, he doesn't even know the person's name that he's helping. Like he yeah. found this opportunity to extend love, to care, to have compassion. And he, he just did it because it was right, you know, just out of the, uh, out of his heart. And, and Absolutely. so when Jesus is challenging the lawyer to say, that's the, that's the kind of love. It wasn't like the good Samaritan walked up and said, well, I had already done my good deed for the day, so I don't have to help this guy. Um, or that he walks up and says, well, the Jews really don't like us that much. So I'll wait, you know, if it was a Samaritan on the side of the road, I would have helped him. No, the good Samaritan just was good, right? He just, it was in his heart to help. And so I look at that as a, as an example of the level of love that we can aspire to. There doesn't have to be some sort of ceiling on it where you would say, here's the appropriate amount of love I'm going to share with my neighbor. But after that, no, thanks. No, no. I mean, he, the Samaritan essentially gave up his schedule, gave up his things. Uh, he went all in on love. Yeah. And uh, one of the statements that really has struck me and that I think about frequently is the idea that I can either love richly or live poorly. Mm. There's really not any option other than those two things. Um, Absolutely. And so loving richly just means that my actual purpose in the day is to love. So the other things I'm doing, even like the schedule I would set or the budget I have for my family or something, mm -hmm. those are actually tools to enable a life that's supposed to be all about love. So I shouldn't be worried about those things having to change or adapt or be somehow pressured by my decision to extend love. I should expect that, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, we could even look at our schedule and our budget and say, how could I better set my life up so that I can love more or love more richly? And uh, and that's where the Love One More Challenge has been really helpful to my wife, Melissa, and I, because it it frames like it, it instead of love just being this nebulous aspirational goal that's floating around out there, it becomes really tangible. Um, mm -hmm. Making room to love one more might mean that when we're doing a home improvement, we're thinking a little bit beyond just what does our family want. We're also saying like, well, if we're entertaining guests, like how would we build that? Or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or if, if we're, planning our grocery budget, you know, hey, if if we end up feeding extra people, what would be the strategic way to prepare for that ahead of time? So it's not some sort of a budget emergency when it does happen, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. just as you get it embedded into your mind, you start realizing that every part of your life, um, we even have, uh, and I mean, this is where you don't start on day one thinking about all this stuff, but it's just like, as you live with the love one more challenge in your brain, Mm. You start realizing that things you do, it's almost like everything you have in your hands is a, is a possible way to extend more love. So I, I started realizing like the empty seats in my car are seats that could potentially be filled with someone I don't know yet. And mm. so I say, well, Lord, who should that be? You know, maybe like we're driving to church and there's an extra seat. 
it, there's not, there's no law that I have to pick up somebody to go to church or, you know, that like, it's, I should feel guilty if I don't or something, but it's more of like, there's an asset sitting there, an empty seat. Mm-hmm. Um, that's available in my household. It's available for the kingdom. It's available for love. So Lord, if you want to fill that seat, I'm open, you know, and just starting to think that way really changes your perception of daily life. Oh, it does. It, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's just been a couple of weeks since I heard you, um, not even mm-hmm. about a week and a half ago, since I since I heard you present this love one more challenge. And and like you said, it's 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 having those open hands and that that posturing of complete surrender, use all my available resources to love one more. Like you said, the empty seats and, right. and um, God, is there someone that you want me to reach out to and invite? Um, I, I was uh, facilitating a, an emotional intelligence in Christ six week study guide yesterday, a group yesterday. And we were talking about this one phrase that it's, it's very difficult to love well in the midst of the hustle, in the midst of hurry, right. to be able to truly, even, you know, if you think about it, the days when you know, you got a tight schedule. It's like, okay, bye. I love you. You know, see you later. Give you a quick hug or whatever. But even, even just slowing that down, knowing that that's the most important thing that you'll do in the next hour is extending love as, as you're, as you're going out into your day and pausing to let the people in your household know uh, the depth of love you have for them and not rushing through it, but being present, giving that longer hug, making time for that longer hug. And the affirmation that goes along with it. It's really just a, it, I, I really appreciate the simplicity of this invitation because as we give it over to the Holy Spirit, you just see so many different dimensions for this. Oh, absolutely. It, I, you know, if you, when you think about emotional intelligence and how, you know, part, part of that equation is being able to understand what's going on in your own heart and life, but mm-hmm. A part of it is when you when you can see another person and you it's almost like you could sort of see through their eyes instead of just through your eyes what mm-hmm. what their situation feels like or what they're going through. It it's it feels like it's a, a major step of maturity to to realize like my life doesn't it's not even primarily about me, how I'm mm-hmm. personally feeling or doing. I mean, I want to feel good and do good, but I but when I'm in a situation and I'm looking at others, I would be wanting to have like the eyes of compassion on and the and being able to look at people and say, I, I want to step into their scenario and say, what what do they need? You know, how can I best serve them? And that's that's literally what Jesus did for us as he stepped out of heaven to earth. And so this is to me, it feels like one of the one of the ways we mature to become more like Jesus, it is actually to figure out how love applies to every nuance of what we're doing mm. and every interaction we have. Well said. And, and then I think you could analyze it and go, wow, Jesus had, you know, obviously really high emotional intelligence. <laughs> it's like a hundred percent or what, whatever scale I'm sure. He, he yeah. He, was, he is emotional intelligence. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah, yeah. Because he could literally see the other person's heart and he could give them exactly what they need in that moment. Yeah. Um, but to me, the loving your neighbor as yourself is like a very simple way to conceive of it. And I've I've been in Bible studies and things where people, they kind of get tripped up on the phrase itself, mm-hmm. and it becomes a discussion about, 
you know, should you love yourself or things like that. And mm-hmm. I, I know there's a place for that discussion, you know, but that when you're thinking about the mission of love, it, it's really to say the same kind of care that you would apply to you, you you're willing as a Christian to apply that to someone else, even mm-hmm. though they don't deserve it, or even though they didn't earn it from you. Um, and so when I th- when I I just feel challenged by that over and over again. One of the one of the deepest challenges to my view of that came when I was overseas in South Asia, hmm. and you know walking through very impoverished villages. Yeah, and it just struck me as I was like watching little kids run around, and I was thinking like, if that was my kid, like, and they were getting water out of a dirty cistern or something, what would I do? And like. And how much money would I spend to fix the problem they have? And I thought, well, you know, who knows? I mean, it, it, I know that, but I was just thinking that I would spare no expense, you know, in a sense to like Absolutely. make sure my kid had a, a bed to sleep on or clean water to drink or, you know, or access to the gospel to begin with. Mm-hmm. And and so how, you know, it was almost like this call to God, like, okay, how do I apply love my neighbor as myself when... I don't even know how to begin, you know, in this situation, but that's where you just say, okay, Holy Spirit, like I want to be faithful in the situations I'm in to do the best I can, trusting in you to provide what I, what I can't provide. Um, mm. and that's, I feel like is a big part of how we live. This is there's an element of faith where you're not just reaching into your own resource pool to try to meet needs, but you're saying, Lord, I'm your partner in this. I'm the junior partner significantly, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm here as your agent, as your representative. So Mm -hmm. Lord, if you'll provide for me the resource that I can share, I'm willing to share it. That's a beautiful, that's really helpful because otherwise you just get immediately tapped out and overwhelmed because you just Mm -hmm. go, wow, the needs just in the people I already know are probably way beyond any of our capacity to meet, but God can meet them. So Lord, I'm here as a as a vessel or a channel for your mm. blessing, your love to flow through me to that person. Well, it's that it's that ambassador taking taking that we're we're Christ ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. I'm glad you brought that up, Dan, because um, many times overwhelm shuts us down from action. And right. so to to really um, understand that that as you mentioned, our life is not about us. It's it's it's. It's really not about us. I mean, we exist, breathe, think, move, live, have our being because our existence, our breath, our life, our mental capacity, emotional intelligence have been willed into being by the power of God. And so we, um, it's really uh, our life because we're here for Christ. We're his ambassadors, but it's, but it exists. We're here because of Christ, because of God for, for, for his purposes. And as Paul mentioned, and you mentioned this as well, I actually have this written on my, outside of my journal is Ephesians 2.20. The power that works within us is able to accomplish abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. So the importance of understanding, um, like you said, we are his ambassadors and we have the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ of Nazareth from the grave living within us because we are united to him, Galatians 2.20. Therefore, we have the mind of Christ, right? And he can give us, uh, to help us tune into available resources and also provide available resources because whatever he calls us to, 
He's faithful in, in, in giving us that. You, you had talked about that too, in terms of the dimensions of God's love mm-hmm. and, and how important that is that we connect our identity. And that's the first phase of emotional intelligence in Christ, having our identity grounded into the deep love of God within us, who's able to abundantly accomplish more than we could ever ask or imagine. Talk a little bit about how that's inspired you even more because you've been practicing this a lot longer than I have. Um, But I've been thinking that, that I can't do this unless God fills me to be able to do this well. Yeah. Uh, So one way that I've thought of that is out of the overflow of God's love for me is that that's where the resource comes from to love the next person. Mm -hmm. Um, So you think in Ephesians 3, when it does talk about, you know, the through, you know, God's power working in us can do more than we can ask or imagine. And, you know, you've got all this abundance and all this hope and joy. But right before that, he talks about praying for the Ephesian church that they would understand the width and height and length and depth of God's love for them. And then he says, which is too great to even know, like it surpasses knowledge. So you're praying, I hope, you know, he's praying that they'll understand God's love, but then going, you know what? No matter how hard you try, you're still not going to get it. This is beyond us. But understanding God's love is actually the key to our maturity. That's what verse 19 says, that then we're complete. Then we're like made full. We, And so on the basis of that work that's happening inside of us, now God's power can be unleashed. And we'll, we'll end up a part of things that are way beyond us. And we'll look back and say, God, this... This was beyond what I would have even asked or imagined for my life or for this situation or for this, you know, church or wherever wherever we are. Um, Lord, we're trusting you to do what we can't. We're we're leaning on you for the resource here. Hmm. Um, that overflow, I've I've found a lot of hope and even confidence in Matthew 6:33. When Jesus said, you know, to the people who were worried about clothes and food and tomorrow, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and my heavenly father will add all those things to you. Mm. And I just think there's the, like the love of God for us. He's our father. He cares for us. He's going to meet our needs. If we'll say, if we'll kind of align our priorities with his we don't have to worry about running out of capacity to love people. Mm-hmm. Um, that obviously that you're not a superhero, so you wouldn't go alone and just say, well, therefore I'm going to do everything for everyone. You know, you operate with wisdom, you operate with your family, with your church around you, with others, but, but you're not thinking of it as that you have to manufacture inside of yourself, energy, love, you know, time, money, whatever it is, whatever it's going to take to extend love. Instead, you're saying, okay, out of the overflow of your love for me, Lord, which is so big, I can't even understand it. um, I'm going to start extending your love and I'll just start with one more person. So would you lead me to that person? Mm. Absolutely. Um, This reminds me of, of one of my, my, my favorite chapters that you had actually talked about when you were you were talking about the love more and more challenge, and that that being uh, John chapter four with the Samaritan woman at the well, and you you had brought up um, 
<laughs> the interesting side of things, right? Where the disciples were kind of checked out. They didn't really realize what Jesus was doing in that scene, reaching that one life, right? That one life. And Jesus highly, highly sought after the one life, knowing the ramifications of the ripple effect. Right. And this Samaritan woman, my goodness, she changed so dramatically that the entire town came to believe before they even saw Jesus. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because I, I loved your take on that. On oh, how... yeah. Well, so, you know, we typically focus on the dialogue between Jesus and the woman. Right. There's a lot there. But when you notice that the disciples, the reason they're not in the first part of the story is they had gone off to look for food. And in the, if you think about a map of Israel, north to south, there, Samaria is kind of in the middle of that map. And the Jews that were particularly, well, probably most of them, but the ones that are kind of tuned into all this, they would, they would take a road to try to get around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to go through it because they just despise the Samaritans so much. And so normally people like the disciples would not have been in this particular town because they would have gone the long way around to get from point A to point B just to miss this. Okay. Yeah. So you could imagine as they're there, it, it would be, well, just imagine a place that you might go that you'd say like, I would rather not go to that side of town or I'd rather not hang out with that crowd. Mm -hmm. So if you end up there, you kind of hurry your way through it. Like mm -hmm. you're certainly not lingering, you know? So the disciples are, they're there. Jesus had said to them, we have to go through Samaria. You can almost imagine maybe in their heads, you know, a little, little bit of eye roll, like, oh, <laughs> absolutely. He wants us to do that. Like, and then I'm sure there would have been a few of them that would be like, technically, Lord, we, we could take the road everybody else takes and not go through Samaria. But Jesus said, no, we're going, you know, so they're, they're yep. there, they stop for water. The disciples are looking around for food. And the, the whole Samaritan woman story happens. Jesus talks to her, reveals himself to be the Messiah. The disciples get back, and at first they're surprised he's talking to a woman. But it's interesting because even when that happened, they they their minds were still very focused on earthly things because they were like, well, here, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Um, in other words, like there's a bigger purpose going on than you guys see. But then it says that they're asking each other, like, wait, did somebody already bring him lunch? You know, sure. <laughs> you know? They're not even thinking about what's totally happened. missing it, right? <laughs> so so then Jesus says to them, um, open your eyes and look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Hmm. And in context, he they're they're standing in the middle of a spiritual harvest field that is about to be harvested, right? As, hmm. as that's happening, the woman is running back telling all her friends that here's the Messiah, you've got to come and meet him. So, so the disciples had just completely missed the moment, almost to a comical degree. Well, well, here this new believer who's like been a Christian for like 30 minutes is winning her whole town to Christ. Exactly. <laughs> uh, disciples who are supposed <laughs> to be doing that sort of thing are not even thinking that there's a spiritual purpose to what they're doing in that town. Yeah, it's so interesting, and, isn't it? Yeah. And so here, here's a way that, that I've tried to apply that um, is I'll think about, you could imagine like almost like one of those old World War II radar screens where the line, the bright line would sort of circle around and you'd see pings of light. Yeah. Um, the radar. Yep. Yeah. That radar 
in your own mind, it's like if you switch your radar off, then you end up kind of like the disciples. You could walk right by an amazing gospel opportunity and just not even know you were there. Like you, yep. you totally miss it. But meanwhile, if your radar is on and you're looking at your scenario and saying, okay, Lord, I'm here as your ambassador. So who, who are you calling me to love? Who are you calling me to encourage? Who are you calling me to share the gospel with? That radar switch being on will result in pings all over the place. Like you'll you'll be in you'll be at work and you'll realize one of your coworkers just looks particularly sad. And you might have just wandered off and gotten your coffee and got back to your desk and never thought another thing about it. But with your radar on, you realize, wait a minute, in this situation, I might be like quote unquote Jesus right now, right here for this person. Hmm. So Lord, how do you want me to reach out to them? Um, or you might hear an appeal in your community for, you know, help at the homeless shelter or for new foster parents or for, you know, some community need. And otherwise you might say, oh, you know, I'm already committed to something else. But when your radar's on, you're sort of always looking for ways that might make sense for you to contribute, to serve, to help. And so one of the great questions that has helped me find people to extend compassion or love to, mm. is just to say, Lord, who is on my radar right now? Mm. And there's a new answer to that question, probably at least once a week, because you're at school. And then just, you know, maybe you've sat next to the same person for a long time, but then there's just something that happens that changes the equation a little bit. And you realize, hey, this is the moment that I need to be a light. Mm. So in that moment, you get to you get to take advantage. And so that's where I feel like those disciples, they they just missed it. And Jesus didn't, thankfully. Um, and by the way, there's some really, it's, it's a kind of a fun follow-up study to that particular part of the Bible, hmm. is that there are church history traditions. They're not biblical, but they're like post-biblical stories um, of what happened to that Samaritan woman and that she actually became a witness even after the resurrection. And it, um, you know, it's it's kind of hard to verify early church history stories. Like sure, that. sure, but that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, and so the the uh, the one that I found that it came from like an Eastern Orthodox source, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. way back, you know. And, My husband's Greek Orthodox, so I know all about that. Oh, okay, yeah. So yeah. an interesting In thing to look of... up is that they uh, there was a there was a name of a woman named Photina, mm -hmm. uh, which is like actually like energy or light in in the meaning of it that that some of the stories say is actually this woman oh, wow. and that she was a bold witness and she ended up being killed in one of the persecutions after like really saying some strong stuff to one of the persecutors. It's pretty powerful. You wow. know, this woman who actually like continued to be a witness long after this story that's in the Bible. Ah, oh, that's so, so powerful. Yeah. It's, uh, it's neat to think about that. Well, so it's really, it's really that it's way, really, right? God can use yeah. any of us that way. If oh, we, absolutely. Um, if we just decide to be bold, be mm. be ready for the opportunities to keep our radar on. Mm. I love that to keep our radar on, and and really, it's 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 as you're speaking, I'm I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of of Moses in the burning bush. You know, when when he took a step toward God. And it's, it's not until he took a step toward God, meaning God was showing up in the burning bush, that God spoke. And so taking into account this love one more invitation here, when we take a step toward God, 
and give him permission to awaken our senses, our eyes, our ears, our heart, to be able to respond to that still small voice that says, hey, go back to that coworker. We don't know, but God knows. And so it's, it's making, it's that declaration of availability because then God calls out Moses' name, right? And, and he says, uh, you know, Moses. And the first thing he says is, here I am, Lord. And, and, and after that, that's when the Great Commission in his life started to take place. But bringing us here today after Christ has died, suffered, died, and was buried and rose again from the dead because of his love for us. And he calls us into continuing this gospel um, expression of God's love for us in Christ and with Christ. That's a huge piece allowing ourselves to first and foremost experience God's love for us. So listener, wherever you are today, if you're questioning, yeah, I've done a, a lot of things in my life though. I'm, I kind of knock around in the shadows of guilt and shame and not quite sure that God's love is enough or he would forgive that. I can assure you today it is enough. And he calls you close to send you out. And this is, this is why this is such a powerful invitation for us today, is, is to have the energy, as, as you mentioned, Dan, the energy to love one more. As we close things up, would you speak about that a little bit in terms of really anchoring that energy that comes from an encounter with God's profound love for us right where we're at? And we could always borrow it from his heart. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Well, as you take steps toward the Lord, he will empower you to do his will in ways that are supernatural. So you're not starting, like if you look at your current life, whatever that looks like, you might say that you're you're exhausted. You might say, I, I'm already giving 100% of what I have to give in terms of energy or money or relational equity or whatever. Um. So that's where you you in faith say, Lord, I would I will choose to love one more, believing that you will provide what I need. Hmm. So physically, I've seen that happen where, you know, in our family, we would decide to take in another child. And then like miraculously from a different place, someone would give us the the car that we needed. You know, like we I remember when someone gave us a van. It's to upgrade from a car. And it was like coincided right when we were taking on more foster children. Like, wow, thank you, Lord, for this. You know, that wow. gift that directly made it possible. But I find that the physical needs are not like those. You could almost imagine meeting those in human ways or just, you know, maybe from the generosity of another person. But where I really struggle to, to, to need God's power is actually the energy emotionally to love more people. Well said. Because you just, you do spend yourself, you know, mm -hmm. as you love, as you, and especially if you've got a person in your life who's difficult to love, you know, a wayward child or a difficult marriage situation or a strange family member or something. And you go, that's, that's, that's taking a toll. That's pulling a lot of emotional energy out of me. I don't know that I have a lot more to give to someone else, especially if we're, you know, sort of aiming to love people who need help. That probably means their lives are complicated too. 
Um, that's where you say, Lord, in faith, I'm going to step forward here. I, I need you to give me energy. Hmm. And I, um, I, so along the parenting journey, you know, we, we've had, we've had more than 40 kids in and out of our home. It's incredible. For, you know, at various intervals, mm-hmm. uh, six of them joined our forever family. So that's, that's where those came from. But um, a lot of those kids, you know, would be, we would say yes in faith and go, well, we'll give it our best shot, but Lord, you're going to have to help us a lot here. Um, and we also would lean on others. And that one of the, th- one of the things that I think holds people back from boldly loving is that they, they imagine that they have to figure all this out on their own. That is so true, Dan. Absolutely. And, and yet that, if you think about it, why do you have a church or why do you have a family well, in God's economy, that's like your team to accomplish the mission, right? So mm-hmm. you're not alone. And in fact, there there were situations that 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 my wife and I encountered in the foster parenting ministry, where we would look at the whole scenario and we would realize we can't, like, we're not the right person for this situation. So we need to, we'll help, you know, but we're not, you can't be the hero of every story. Um, in fact, you, you generally aren't the hero of any of the stories, you know, by the time <laughs> you're finally written. Um, but you kind of imagine that you need to be. And so you're thinking, um, like you come across a need and you're like, okay, wow, how can I give or how can I serve or how can I make space? And sometimes the best thing we can do is just in humility, make a connection for someone to get the help they need from someone else. Because we're not really trying to like grow our own list of accomplishments in terms of love. We're just trying to get that person the love they need. It doesn't have to come mm. from me or from you. I mean, it could be from, but it might be a connection we have, or maybe we open a door, or maybe we assist or encourage. So part of it is not being self-reliant about all of this, but really mm. saying, God, I'm trusting in you. And I'm I'm humble enough to realize that I can ask for help. I can I can work with people to extend your love. I don't have to do this, you know, as an independent operator. The uh, the other thing that I would encourage is to think about the the capacity you have to love, the size of your heart, and just know that God can grow that. God can add more love to you so that you can add it to other people. And I know it sounds kind of hokey or almost like how would you ever measure that? I don't really know how to measure it, but I would say it is what happens. If you say yes to loving someone, you realize your capacity to love one more does actually grow. Um, just like it does with parenting. If if anyone has parented more than one child, you realize you, you know, if, if I said, well, what percentage do you love your firstborn child? Well, when they were first born, you'd say, well, 100%. Uh, well, does that love get cut in half when you have your second child? Well, no. I mean, maybe your time might, but your love doesn't get cut in half. It's more that somehow in your heart, there's like another room built for more love for that next kid. Hmm. Uh, And so when you think about loving one more, you're not thinking about loving the people in your life already less. You're saying, Lord, would you help me to actually love more? And he will. He will build your capacity if you'll have the faith to trust him and just step forward toward that next situation, you know, you think about a widow that you know in your neighborhood, that you stepping forward and just for a moment saying, if that was my grandma or if that was my mom 
how would I treat her? How would I, you know, how often would I reach out to her? And then just, you know, apply some wisdom and practicality to that and say, okay, I want to, I want to extend that kind of love to, to this person. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's a family in your church that you can tell has dysfunction and need, and you just say, could I, could I step forward as an encourager to that family? It's not stepping forward out of like your own perfection, like you've got it all worked out and now you can help the next person. You you probably need someone to love you as well. So we all kind of accept that, that um, I'm somebody else's one more, you know, and oh, absolutely. I, get to be, I remember when, when my kids were a little bit younger and we would use this as our family motto, you know, love one more. We even have some mm-hmm. little magnets that say that around our refrigerator. And I love that. Um, the, uh, I remember one day I had said to my son, um, yeah, we've got, we've got somebody coming over tonight. You know, we've got to clean up the house a little bit. And, um, and he said, oh, is this another one more? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, actually, it actually is good. good <laughs> um, yeah. That is great. He was used That's great. And by the way, one little note on that. A lot of people actually are held back from like extending love or hospitality just because they feel like they have to present so well. And they'll mm-hmm. be like, my house isn't perfect. And so we can't do this. So that's part of what you have to let go. And you start mm-hmm. saying, Lord, I'll love people just where I am. So that's sure, well I'll, said. I'll tidy up if I can, but I don't need a perfect house or a perfect life before I can invite somebody else into it. Mm. That is that is well said. You know, your your statement on the energy piece too, and, and God's ability to enlarge in our heart. Um, there have been many times when I've been drained physically, spiritually, emotionally, and uh, God's put someone to love one, one more in my life. And, and I'll just have that authentic prayer and say, I I've got nothing <laughs> in and in and of myself. I have nothing and you have everything. So I need to borrow it from your heart, expand my heart. Cause I know that you are faithful. The one who calls us is faithful and he'll do it. And if we feel moved by the Holy spirit and we were open to the radar and tuning in, whatever God calls you to my friends, he will give you the grace to do it. And Jesus himself, even in, in Matthew eleven twenty six, 26, when, when we're burnt out and energy is your capacity for action, when you become depleted and um, you, you're looking for renewal, the definition of renewal means you can expend energy without depleting the source, the source being you. And you with Christ, your resources are endless because Jesus says, come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Um, when we are just looking to ourselves, that's when we come be- depleted very quickly. When we realize that we are connected to the source of love, who is love, who is emotional intelligence, can give us that grace at any moment and having that humble prayer. Um, Dan, thank you so much for this. If if you could leave uh, listeners with one question that they can carry with them, what would that be? Um, well, at the risk of oversimplifying I think it would be um, who is God asking you to love? Hmm. Um, I I was at a church in North Carolina a few years back, and a person came up to me after hearing this challenge, and they said, I know who I'm supposed to love. It's my um, stepson who lives with me. (laughs) And here there was a sad story about divorce and dysfunction. And 
the woman had been withholding her love from the child who actually lived at her own house because the kid reminded her of the guy and, you know, it was complex, but Mm. for her, the love one more challenge was like, it just took her right back to her own house and say, there's my next person. That's who I need to love with Jesus's love. Mm. And so someone at school, someone at work, someone in your church, someone in your neighborhood, um, who is the next person that God would ask you to bring into your inner circle and love with the kind of love that Jesus provides. Mm. Amen for that. And listeners, this will be, um, this is obviously recorded and we'll have the scriptures that we discussed today during the podcast at edgegodin.com. For more information on the ministry of, of life action, please visit lifeaction.org. As I've mentioned many times, the definition of emotional intelligence in Christ is the activation, the wakefulness of the Holy Spirit within us to help us discern and manage personal emotions and behaviors in a way that honors God by loving others well, as Jesus did. And this is a very powerful invitation on the third phase of emotional intelligence in Christ, which is an altruistic attitude that Jesus had made possible by an encounter with the love of Christ. God adores you and is calling you closer today to be his hands, his heart, his feet, and to light up the lives of the people he's entrusted to your care. So give him heaven out there. Dan, would you close us in prayer today? And thank you so much for this very, very timely and very valuable message. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that it is available so wide, uh, so widely to to us who don't deserve it. Who um, you could have just passed us by, um, and you would have been, I suppose, justified in doing so because we didn't um, deserve anything from you. And yet, Lord, you stopped and you stepped into our mess and you gave up yourself to serve and to care. And ultimately, Lord, you gave your life as the ultimate demonstration of love for us. And now as your servants, as your ambassadors, we want to joyfully extend that love to other people. So Lord, I pray for the many people that we will have access to just in the next um, week. The people will pass by on the road. People will pump gas for our car standing next to the people that will come home to in the evening that live in our household, the people we'll see at our churches and in our community spaces. Lord, would you give us your eyes on all of those people so that we can see where your love needs to be applied? And would you lead us to our next one more and give us the energy, Lord, that we'll need to be able to love them well? Thank you so much for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Dan. And truly, again, thank you so much for this very valuable message. Is there any other information that you'd like to share with listeners today in terms of how they can connect with you? Oh, sure. Um, you can find me at danjarvis.us. If you um, want to connect, I'd be happy to. Um Otherwise, you know what's fun about being in the kingdom is it, in a way, like we know we'll find each other in heaven someday and yeah. have lots of time to hang out then. Um, but for right now, like let's be on mission 
you know, and whether we meet in this life or the next, um, we know what we're here for and what Jesus has called us to. And so I'm just excited to get after it. And I'm excited about um, doing that along with all of you. Mm, absolutely. So again, give them heaven out there, my friends. It's getting dark. God adores you. Look forward to our next podcast together next week.